O God, our great companion, lead us ever more deeply into the mystery of your life and ours, and keep us faithful interpreters of life to one another through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. First of all, let me say what a delight it is to be here at St. Peter's uh, with Julie and Sid and all of you. And for those of you who do not know me, my accent is a mixture of English, Australian, and North America. I want to talk today about God's economics. One of the earliest signs that my children had any kind of moral sense was when they complained, Daddy, that's just not fair. As a young parent and as a student of ethics at the time, I was delighted with this naive sense of justice. Of course, I soon learned that their complaint had very little to do with justice. They just wanted what they wanted. And the easiest way to get my attention was to let me know that they considered it to be unfair. Imagine what they would have said to Jesus after he told the story of the laborers in the vineyard. Even we who are adult have a hard time with this story. We sense that those who worked the longest should have received more for their labor. In our current economic fears, we have witnessed over the past decade or so increasing productivity, but not an increase in shared wealth. In fact, according to recent U.S. Census data, the wage gap is wider than ever. And reported recently on PBS, it said the top fifth of Americans who earn more than 100000 a year receive nearly 50% of all the income generated in the U.S., while the bottom 20% received just 3% of that income. The U.S. now has the greatest disparity between rich and poor among Western industrialized nations. Many are saying that is just not fair. So what is going on here in the gospel? First, we need to look at the way Matthew places this parable in his gospel. Jesus has been telling his disciples that it is difficult for the wealthy to enter into God's kingdom because they are too preoccupied with their wealth and the security it brings them. Peter says in response, oh, but Jesus, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus acknowledges their commitment and says that they will indeed share in the kingdom. But then he adds, the first will be last, and the last will be first. The very words that end the parable today. So the point of the parable then is to illustrate for his followers God's way of fairness. 
a way of fairness that is in contrast to their own way of thinking. In short, this parable is a remarkable witness to the generosity of God. All, no matter how much they have labored, will be treated equally. There is no privileged or earned place in God's society. All are equally invited to become a part of God's realm. This is the good news that we proclaim. But there is a second level of interpretation, and this interpretation rests on the first. Once we have come to realize that God invites all to be a part of God's justice-making realm, then we become agents of change in the places we find ourselves. For first-century peasants, Jesus' point is about the normal wages paid to day laborers. In the economy of Jesus' day, a laborer received just enough to support his, him and his family for one day. Anything less would mean that the family would suffer hunger or more. So Jesus is saying that even those who worked the least among the amount of hours deserved to eat. It is a parable, in other words, about equity and generosity, not fairness. Those who complained had a difficult time with this kind of generosity. In the Greek, the landowner literally asks, is your eye evil because I am good? Can't you recognize generosity when you see it? Why do you have to complain? You cannot see my generosity because your sight is blinded by your own limited sense of what it means to be fair. So, I think there are three points, three things Jesus is trying to teach us about God in this parable. Julie's smiling. Peter always has three points. <laughs> Some of you know me from old know that. First, and here's this wonderful image that we get out of this parable. God is seeking us all day long. The owner of the vineyard is out there in the streets looking for the needy all day long. Five times, and each time he invites those who are there to come and work. It is a picture of persistence. God persists with God's love for us. God never gives up on us. God is always on a lookout for you and me to respond to this gospel message, this wonderful insight that God loves every one of us. It is never, ever too late. You know, we tend to write people off very easily, but it never is too late. Think of Scrooge. He spent a lifetime hoarding his stuff and it wasn't until the very near end of his lifetime that he had a Christmas Eve conversion and began to live the life of generosity. 
All of us know people whose lives are trapped in their possessions, or lack of them even, and who know no joy. People who always seem disgruntled or angry. People who have never felt loved or cherished. God is waiting for an opportune moment to invite them, and it may be through you, to invite them into the kingdom of generous joy, to discover that life is about living generously and not hoarding. Our current fears of chronic unemployment suggest to me that we should support public policies that help to create jobs and programs for the retraining of those who are unemployed. And when jobs are eliminated, we should be moving our economy to re-employ those who've been treated that way. Just as the vineyard owner went out each hour, so must we be vigilant in creating job opportunities for all who are capable of work. We need to stop thinking in this country that profit and financial gain is the only measure of the market's success. Job security, meaningful work, just wages are also important indicators of whether our economy is thriving or not. The current gap between CEOs' income and line workers is a sin and can only be described as greed. So that's the first thing, that God is persistently seeking justice all day long. Secondly, God gives generously to all who respond. The landowner made sure that all received enough to care for their families, even though it was probably a subsistence amount. The point is not the actual amount, but the act of generosity that did not want anyone to starve. In short, Jesus' point is that God wants everyone to have sufficient food to eat and live. It is a parable against any kind of privileged view that ignores the plight of the poor. Our first reading, which was part of that narrative you've been reading for the last few weeks, the narrative of the Exodus story, takes us to a new dimension of the shaping of Israel. These narratives are really a record of how Israel became Israel. And first of all, it had the adventure and the wonderful release from slavery. They had been in slavery for 400 years, and now they were rested, having been uh, by the oasis at Elim. And now they were crossing the desert and beginning to face the onslaught of desert living and the shortage of food, the lack of substance in the desert, and they were complaining. Some commentator said in 14, in 14 verses they complained 14 times. They were whingers, that's what we call them in Australia. They were whingers. They'd had a comfortable sojourn, but now they were facing hardship, and they cried out, and Moses was interesting. Moses actually interpreted God's purpose. If you look at the passage closely, God said, I'll provide their food. But Moses said, not only will God provide his, the food, God will make himself known to them. 
God will disclose himself. And what did they learn when God disclosed himself? What they learned is that God supplied their daily need. Not over an abundance, nor could they hoard because it didn't last. So there were two lessons from this narrative that relate to the gospel passage. One, I'll get there in a minute. <laughs> um, the two, one, to trust God for daily sustenance and food that can be shared equitably. You're doing that with your hunger, the, what is it, the raft hunger kitchen? You're doing that. You're recognizing that in Henrietta there are hungry people and they need to be fed. And it's a responsibility on this community to make sure they are fed. That's generosity. That's what you're doing. You're living into this narrative of Moses that people need to eat. We do not, the poverty level in this country is now rising. We do not need to let that happen. So, first thing, they learn that God supplies and we distribute equitably. Secondly, and a very important lesson, and you're taking part in it right now this minute, they were not allowed to collect food on the Sabbath. They had to set aside some time in order to worship God, in order to be aware of the fact that they weren't just eating machines, that they had a reason to live beyond sustenance. And that is an incredibly important message that you are uniquely qualified to carry out to all of your neighbors we live in a society that's so easily seduced into thinking that the meaning of human life is eating and consuming. And you are in a unique position to say, no, we're in a unique position to be a thankful people. Now I've left my text, I've got to find out where I am. Uh, that was page four, so I'm on page five. So that was the second point. God gives generously to all who respond. Third point, God invites us to let go of worrying about what is deserved. Lord, do I need to learn that lesson? I don't know about you, but I always think people get what they deserve at times. I have to be careful with this one, Jesus. You're getting at me and I don't like it. This is the heart of the parable, isn't it? When we focus on what we think we deserve, we're also saying what others do not deserve. And when we think of life as getting what we deserve, we begin to feel that we need to protect what we have. But in Jesus' mind, there is no question of deserving. It is solely the generosity of God, and encountering this generosity leads to lives of generosity. I'm going to make a confession. All through my life, I have worked hard to get where I am. And there is a little voice inside of me that says, well done, Peter. You did a good job. Both in education and profession and all the rest of it. And then God sits me down with a clump every now and then and says, Peter Peters, thank your mother for the way you speak. I was a lazy boy and didn't pronounce all my T's and cross my I's and all that sort of thing. Mother was insistent. So now I speak clearly. Thank you, Mother. I had teachers 
who were incredibly patient with me. I was a very lazy student. In fact, I was a school dropout at one time in my life. But I always had teachers who somehow picked me up. I've had colleagues who've encouraged me time and time again when I felt down and unable to do things. As a priest in community, I found the community as a place of nurture and comfort and encouragement. Truth is, while I work hard, I am what I am because so many people have given generously to who I've become. And that's true for you as well. We are so easily seduced into systems of rewards that it is hard for us to figure this one out. And my friends, ultimately it means that you and I need to be converted time after time. Converted from this idea that I, wor I worked hard and I earned it and I deserve it to the idea that I am who I am because of the generosity of the creation and of the communities that I've shared and all I can do is become a thankful person. It is hard for us in this country especially to let go of the prevailing work ethic and enter into God's way of generosity. And when we learn this way of generosity, we in fact become generous ourselves. So, as we conclude, let me remind you that we come to this wonderful Eucharist and we have a choice to make. We can come as those who feel that the invitation to come and share the bread and the wine is a just reward for our good and faithful living. Or we can come as those who find themselves responding to the unconditional love and generosity of God, who does not ask us how hard we worked, but simply says, will you please come to my supper? We come in solidarity with all who are in need of God's love, not those who have worked all day. We come to reaffirm ourselves in for ourselves that God's generosity offers everyone a place at the table. And in tasting this generosity of God, we will leave this Eucharist as people who are committed for working for a more just society where the instruments of wealth distribution are more and more equitable, where the widening gap between rich and poor is viewed as a scandal, and where the right to a living wage is central to our economic charter. The landowner went out five times and gave generously. We can do no less. Amen.